Hey, welcome back to Letters to Women. It's a podcast where we explore and embrace the feminine genius. I'm Chloe Langer, and it has been a hot minute since a new episode of Letters to Women dropped into your podcast feed. A little update on the Langer family. Joseph, Maeve, and I were so blessed to get to spend two weeks in Italy, but as you can imagine, prepping for a two-month trip abroad with a six-month-old was a little hectic, to say the least. But we are back. We have stories to share. We're slowly getting over jet lag, and we have tips for traveling with babies abroad mostly what not to do, things that we learned the hard way. But I'm so glad to be back behind the recording mic again and back with you as we explore this question of what does it mean to be a woman who's Catholic in today's world? You know, Maeve just turned seven months this past week and I've noticed so many sweet little baby photos are filling my Instagram feed and I'm not complaining because I love sweet little baby photos. But it's got me thinking about how these days, especially around the holiday season, it's it's easy to fall into this trap of thinking you're not doing enough as a mom. Maybe you worry you're not spending enough time with your kids. Maybe at the root of it, you wonder and worry if you're just not mom enough, because I know I have. That is why I'm so excited to dig into this idea of perfectionism and motherhood today with you. At first glance, this looks like a podcast episode that's just for moms of kids, whether they're grown or growing. But what I love about this conversation is that it really applies to all women because we're all called to maternity, whether that's physical or spiritual. So in today's episode, We're going to talk about the root of perfectionism, where that comes from for moms, why failure is inevitable, and how sometimes you can embrace the guilt. Yeah, you heard me right. So pour a cup of coffee. I am on my second one this morning, so you are in good company. Settle in. Today's episode is a letter to the woman who doesn't think she's mom enough. Today, we're welcoming to the podcast Kim Cameron Smith. She is an on-fire Catholic revert, an armchair philosopher, and an artist of family life. She lives in Northern California with her husband, Philip, and their four kids. She's the host of the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast, the founder and editor of the parenting ministry, Intentional Catholic Parenting, and her brand new book, Discipleship Parenting, is forthcoming with our Sunday visitor. Kim, welcome to the podcast. It is so good to have you on the show. Oh, it's so good to be here. I'm so excited. Today, we're going to be talking about a podcast episode that is incredibly important, I think, in today's day and age for mothers. And I love, Kim, you made this episode really easy for me because when you when you contacted me about it, you, you named the podcast for me. So a letter to the woman who doesn't think she's mom enough. And that just spoke right to my heart as a new mom to baby Maeve, who is about seven months old. So I'm excited to dig into this topic with you and excited to talk about your new book. But before we talk about motherhood, perfectionism, kind of the culture, the surrounding motherhood today. For those who haven't met you, can you tell us about your story as a Catholic woman? Oh, yes. I'd love to share it. So I love I love being a Catholic woman. And I, um, I, I was not born into a Catholic family. I was not raised with any kind of faith. And then um, my mother married a Catholic, and he brought me into the church when I was 12. So I was brought into the church when I was 12, but I left by the time I was 16. So my home life was, um, you know, like at home, we didn't really celebrate liturgical holidays. It wasn't strongly Catholic. I did not have a strong Catholic identity and my experience wasn't strongly Catholic, but my stepfather did give me that gift. And so I left when I was 16, as many um, teenagers do, I followed my friends into, um, there were these different like ministries on high school campuses, and they were definitely Protestant, non-denominational. So I did that. And then for um, five years or so, I moved in and out of different Protestant denominations, non-denominational Christian churches, and none of them really felt 
like home to me, I would always find something lacking and um, I just would move on. And eventually I, I just left um, Christianity behind and I got into Buddhism and Hinduism. I studied it superficially. And by the time I had graduated from college, I had left any kind of uh, religion behind. I was basically a nun. And then what happened was I was a medievalist. And so I moved to England to study at Oxford, which is a very, I mean, it was the Holy Spirit working. I was drawn to medieval literature and I moved to England and I'm living in Oxford in this beautiful medieval town filled with the beauty of the church. And I was studying medieval literature and I was drawn to women's devotional literature. I was a non-believer studying women's devotional literature. And in those stories, the women are talking about their, their experience of the Eucharist. So I was like, hmm, all these women living in different parts of the world are having this intense experience of the Eucharist. And I basically didn't want to take it at face value. I started researching Eucharistic theology and the history of the Eucharist. And, um, in short, I had a very strong reversion to the faith during that time. Like I discovered that it, when it was all about the Eucharist, it was about, I realized that I had not been told the truth, that the real presence was not added later by the church. It was present um, like the original, like the first early Christians believed in the real presence. And it was a grace that I immediately believed in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. And if that is where Jesus was, that is where I wanted to be. And I was received back into the church by Father Dominic in the oratory in Oxford. One of my sons is named Dominic after him. Mm -hmm. And one of my sons is named Aidan after Aidan Nichols, who wrote the book of on the history of theology that led me intellectually back to the truth. So that was what happened. It was about the real presence. And the Eucharist has always been um, really central in my worship and my feeling close to God. And so, of course, since then, I've had little moments of crisis. As we grow in faith, we'll have moments of doubt. And for me, it was very hard in the early 2000s when the first wave of sex abuse um, mm -hmm. accusations came out. It was very difficult for me. But I moved through those doubts. And my conviction that the Catholic Church is the fullest expression of the truth continues to grow, despite the frailties of the humans within the church. Mm. So that's my story in a nutshell. <laughs> that's beautiful. I love how the Lord worked through what you're passionate about, the study of medieval literature your desire to learn and just met you where you were and called you to something deeper. And I love that. I love this line from your story that you realized that you'd been lied to and that the, the true presence in the Eucharist was the reality. That's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. It was a complete grace. It was so, it was providence. Like I don't even know why, like why would a non-believer be drawn to medieval literature? It's just saturated with religion. Mm-hmm. And I go to live in this old medieval town, and what of all things that I would be drawn to was is is devotional literature, and um, it was a complete grace. And the big grace 
was that I was such a skeptic. Like I always um, wanted proof and evidence for everything, but immediately believed in the real presence of Christ in the in the Eucharist. I was a- able to believe because, um, you know, it was just a gift. And also the witness of the first Christians, like in the catacombs, it, it's there. And the early Christians, it's in the theology of the of the early church that um, the real, uh, you know, the real presence, they believed it. And if they believed it, I could believe it. I could take their word for it. I just can hear in your story this desire to share what the beauty of what you found. Y- you recently have been in the, in the process of writing a brand new book. It's going to be published by our Sunday visitor and it's called Discipleship Parenting Planting the Seeds of Faith. And I love this. It just that's that's a perfect book just hearing your story that that makes total sense for you to be passionate about that and to, to want to desire to have this burning faith and then to also pass that along to your children. And discipleship is something that I've heard a lot um, when it comes to things like focus on university campuses or maybe interacting with different peers in different seasons of life. But I love how you say that discipleship is part of the parenting journey too. So what does it mean to be a discipleship focused parent? We parents, we are disciple parents Mm -hmm. evangelizing our children who we hope and pray become disciples themselves. Of course, we can't force them to become disciples, and we can't guarantee that they will become disciples. But yes, especially because of it is it is important to me that my children live fully and they live in the fullness of the truth. And for me, that is in Catholicism. So it is important to me that I at least... Um, cooperate with God and leading my children to the bridge of discipleship. They will need to make the choice whether they cross the bridge and become Christ's disciples. But I do believe God is calling me to cooperate with him and leading my children to the bridge. Your story as a Catholic woman, having reverted to Catholicism, how you are able to see the fullness of the fact that this is a decision, that that your children will have to make the same decision that that you made too as an adult and really just putting the emphasis on, on being able to lead them up to that, but then leaving the freedom for them to choose that. that that's right. And I think um, that is a really nice transition to our topic because I feel like, wow, a lot of moms put so much pressure on themselves that their kids have to look a certain way, pray a certain way, behave a certain way in church. And we take it really personally mm-hmm. if our children do not look like the children um, of our friends in the pew or our friends going or their children going through First Communion. Like we worry that our kids aren't getting it as much as their kids. And, you know, oh, my gosh. It is very messy. Children are all different. We come with our own wounds, our own expectations. Our children have their wounds and their expectations. And it is really hard. And we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. I think maybe because we are so saturated with information. We are so saturated with images of the perfect family, the perfect mom, the perfect child, that we develop unrealistic expectations for ourselves. Yes, I totally agree. I think that, you know, that perfectionism, it come, it is a kind of perfectionism. And I think that it it's rooted in different things for different mothers. I think for some of us, Um, And first of all, before I I move to that, let me just say that this perfectionism, it comes out in so many places. It comes out in, uh, we want to have the picture-perfect home. We want to make perfect organic meals from vegetables we've grown in our garden. And we want to have the perfect birthday parties, the perfect... And But the thing that I want... So that's part of it. But the thing that really touches my heart 
is the mom who um, feels like she needs to be perfect, the perfect mother who's perfectly mm-hmm. calm all the time, perfectly docile, perfectly loving, and perfectly put together with children who are perfect little Christian saints, right? That's where my heart is, and that's kind of in, in our talk together. I'm going to focus on that. And that kind of perfectionism, it's often rooted in um, our own childhood wounds. No matter what we do, we can sometimes feel like we are not enough, that we are missing the mark. No matter what we do, we feel like, oh, it, it's, it's not enough. And that can come from, you know, obsessively comparing ourselves to others, other moms who always seem to have it together, to other, to their, to other moms' children who seem holier, happier, with better, like they're nicer to their siblings. And we compare our family to that family and we feel less than, we feel like we never measure up. But you know what? I even know women who I know are not carrying deep wounds, who are not type A personalities. And they too can feel this intense worry about themselves and about their children. We love our children so much. We love them so much that we take it personally. We take it to heart when things um, are not right. So for those moms that are super laid back by nature, I kind of see them like the mother lion who's relaxing in the sun. But oh boy, if anyone messes with her baby, she will Mm -hmm, pounce. mm -hmm. And so it's like this thing that rises up in us that no matter what our background is, We naturally, you know, we have dreams and hopes for our children and all of us do. But the mistake we can make is to think that we're in control of making all those things happen or forgetting that God has a plan for our kids and his plan is way better than our plan. And how our child gets to the bridge of discipleship, God may have a different plan than our plan. Yes. And and that just takes the pressure, that realization that God may have a different plan for our children that we have takes the pressure off of us, especially as mothers to realize that, you know, we can, we can plan meticulously. If that's not God's will, then it's up to us to kind of realign ourselves to God's will. I love too, how you're talking about how as a mom today, me raising a, a little tiny baby, I think about the places I fall into the trap of comparison are places like Instagram or Pinterest. But I love that you're talking about a struggle for mothers when it comes to not, not feeling mom enough or not living up to these really high standards of perfection that we're putting up for ourselves. It's kind of a timeless issue. I mean, it's, we, we're seeing it lived out different ways in today's culture, but it seems to be that this is something that moms have struggled with for quite a while. Definitely true that, I mean, I'm sure that um, from the beginning, when moms have this struggle and it is because we just love so intensely it's built into us i think that pinterest and instagram thing and all the mom blogs there's like this image of perfection that is really just an illusion Mm -hmm. and so if you don't know that if you are not yourself in the business you will be like you know there are some gorgeous um blogs where moms share what they do for the liturgical seasons and i look at those and i think oh my gosh, my books are torn to bits and my cake does not look like that. And, you know, it's easy to compare ourselves and to feel like our kids need the picture perfect childhood to be happy and they really don't. And for me, the big thing is, um, you know, uh, the relationship struggle. So, um, you know, I'm a, I came to mothering with deep, deep, deep wounds. And so it was not possible that I could do it, not only not perfect, 
but I was just a hot mess. Like mm. I did not understand basic things about relating, about vulnerability. I had to learn all of those things. And the reality is for any of us, failure at some point in our parenting is inevitable. That the the it's just the draw, even for those of us without wounds from our childhoods, just the the nature of human relationships. There are mismatches in our personality and our child's personality and what we're expecting, what our spouse is expecting as we're raising our children. There's conflicting needs, not only between ourselves and our kids, but our kids have conflicting needs. There is just all of these spaces for friction and even rupture in the relationship. So we come with this brokenness and these obvious places where there's going to be disconnection. And um, this is the big insight that I learned, you know, well into my mothering is that mothering is not a straight path with a light at the end, that Mm. we are parenting because of our brokenness. We are parenting in a maze. We can sense the light off in the distance like over the top of the maze Mm -hmm. but sometimes we are walking blind and we can be humming along thinking we're going in the right direction and then we hit a wall and we realize wait a minute I've taken a wrong turn Um, what was working before is no longer working or what's working for um, our friends does not work for our family that's a big one for me and so this is the thing is if I could just leave your listeners with one message And that is that turning and walking in the other direction is a success. Keep moving in the maze. That is success. Letting go of what does not work for your family and making the choice to continue on with hope, knowing you are still moving toward the light in this maze. That is that is part of the path of raising healthy and holy children. Right. So admitting our faults then is not the same as admitting that we're failures. Because when we admit that something isn't working and we go in the other direction or we admit our mistakes, you know, to ourselves, to God, or even to our child, if necessary, we become more competent. We become more trustworthy. And that is part of the path of growing as a parent. And you know what? Children understand this. Children get it. When we... um. We mess up when we um, behave badly or yell at our kids or whatever. They get it. When we apologize and we take responsibility, that is a success. That is showing our children what humility looks like, what forgiveness looks like. We're modeling for them how they handle it when there is friction or ruptures in their own relationships. You say that hitting a wall and turning around and realizing that isn't the right path is a success. Because when I think about parenting, I think, I have this ideal or this expectation of what this season will look like. And when I run up against a wall, it doesn't mean I'm a failure. I ran up against the wall. It means now I know where that wall is. Now I know more about parenting. It's it's okay. I'm getting a better feel of this maze, this journey to knowing how to parent better, but also growing in deeper relationship with the Lord and with my spouse and with my family. That's just so hope-filled. That we're going to hit walls, but that doesn't mean that we're a failure of a parent. Yes. Beautiful, Kim. I love that. Yes. And I, that really helped me too, having that insight. And that this is the thing. Stay in the maze. Knowing that you will be imperfect is not the same thing as giving up trying. Sometimes we feel like, oh, there's nothing. Um, you know, I yelled at my child again or I um, whatever, like whatever our thing is. We all have our struggles. Mm-hmm. The effort is part of our transformation as we keep moving in the maze 
that is how God um, transforms us. He shows us, incredible in my own mothering, that he shows us parts of ourselves that we would not see if we were not parents. We love our children so much that love is like a light shining in parts of ourselves. Isn't this true? Like parts of ourselves that we never would look at if we were not a parent. I have been willing to look at the ugliest, most broken parts of myself because I love my children so much. I'm willing to look at it for them. And that is also part of the maze, knowing when um, something's not only working for our child, but when we see the light in ourselves and we know, hey, you know, this is not this is a part of myself that I need to look at. I need God's grace. And that is the thing is that our failures are to show his strength because mm-hmm. on my own, I am telling you, I could not do it. I, I'm just too broken. I'm too wounded. But with God, he is strong enough to make even me a mother that makes it. A me, a mother that can raise children who are healthy and holy and well adjusted with his help you know i can make it and i can grow in wisdom and compassion and understanding because of my own failures that god draws out and helps me work through there's such a vulnerability in acknowledging the wounds in our story especially as parents and yeah you're so right when it comes to parenting how even in this short time with mave Interacting with her has brought up memories that I've tried to stuff down for quite a while and then working through those. Yes, because I, I want to be a whole, a whole person who lives in right relationship with the Lord, but also I want Maeve to be able to see what it's like to heal. And I know that this will come up further down the line, but how I've seen it just in the short amount of time. So I love that you're speaking into that for your seasons of motherhood too, that I've seen that those are the places that God wants to glorify in my story. Like, it's not like just these wounds that he wants to stay in the dark and never get healed. It's these wounds that he's, that he's showing us again as parents, because there is hope. I love that word that you use, that there is hope that there can be redemption here. And there is hope that this can, this can be healed, but also that you can become a better parent through that process. And that's hopeful too. In, in my book, I call it, call it resurrection parenting, that there are parts of us you know, like Christ, after the resurrection, he still bore the wounds of the crucifixion. And for many of us, we can we can feel kind of disappointed or, um, you know, we can mourn the fact that we still feel those wounds. We still have the wounds of our childhood, but we can be resurrection parents. God can turn our wounds into something beautiful. He can shine the light on them and turn it in. Like we can rise again like Christ. Through our parenting, we continue healing. So I've seen this again and again in my own mothering. I have two girls and two boys. And through each stage of their maturing, I revisit myself at that age. And I'm able to work on my wounds, but also see my strengths because of my childhood. I see the good things in me because of my childhood. That's such a good balanced view too, to see the wounds, but to also see the strengths. Cause I think it's yeah. so easy just to focus on the wounds and not on the strength. And so I love that dichotomy of being able to see both because they, they're intertwined. Like we're, we're strong in some places because we've been wounded there when we've been broken and we've healed stronger. So I, I love that reminder to look at both the strength and the wounds. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And one thing I wanted to share with your listeners It's something that I learned late in my mothering. You cannot escape the guilt that comes with parenting. 
So that seems like a strange thing to say. And when I first heard it, I heard it in a, a Gordon Neufeld um, parenting seminar. He's a uh, Canadian developmental psychologist, and I really love him. The way he approaches um, child rearing resonates with me. But he said this. He said, you can't escape the guilt. And I thought, what? I don't want to feel guilty. And this is his point. Anytime we are responsible for somebody or something, like even a party, anytime we have responsibility for somebody or something, we experience, as humans, we experience regret or guilt when something goes wrong. It can feel like guilt, but it's probably, it may be regret. So with our child, we experience kind of regret and it comes from our guilt and it comes from the caring for our child and resuming responsibility for him or her. We feel guilt, um, not because we necessarily failed, but maybe just because our child is frustrated, because he's having a bad day, because he doesn't get something, because he's angry, because he failed, because he, um, you know, hit somebody or cheated on a test. So a part of us is moved. A part of us as humans, we are moved when the person we're responsible for, um, when something isn't right. So the mistake is to, to misinterpret those emotions. And the way many of us misinterpret the emotions is we take all of the, the failures and our child's emotions, we internalize them and we feel responsible for making sure our child never feels frustrated, never feels unhappy happy, never feels angry. So we inter we inter take their emotions within ourselves and we feel like it's our job. And that is helicopter parenting and, you know, lawnmower parenting, wanting to clear our child's path of any um, obstacles. Yep. And the thing is, part of maturing for our children is dealing with setbacks, dealing with frustrations that, you know, when our child cries, some of us can feel the tears so deeply within ourselves that we put the puzzle together for our child. Yep. But then he never learns to put, to put the puzzle together. So what Neufeld said in that seminar was just look at your emotions. Oh, that's interesting. I feel guilty or I feel regret that this isn't working for my child or that my child hit that other child. Just look at it. And, um, and, and what do you do with that? The guilt is really a gift. So look at it. And um, the guilt is meant to point you toward what we can change. So where we can grow and where we can help our child grow. Or it is meant to force us to face what we cannot change or what our child cannot change. And we have to allow ourselves to mourn that, to mourn what we can't change. We can't change, you know, um, you know, our some of our old wounds. We can't change, you know, the little house that we live in. We can't change some things and we just have to grieve and let go of that. We have to grieve and let go of the hope that we would somehow be the perfect parent, that we would never yell. You know, we can help our child learn how to manage his emotions. You know, and another misinterpretation is to pretend like we don't feel guilty, right? So we might deny that we feel badly because we're kind of defended against it. We don't want to admit something's not working. And we may do that because we assume that it's our fault. We assume we've done something wrong if our child's um, crying or frustrated. Uh, 
Um, or you may deny um, that the child is even feeling badly or misbehaving. That's another form of helicopter parenting, just denying that there's anything wrong, just want to look the other way. And all and it and what's sad about that is we are missing the opportunity to grow because the guilt is really a gift. It is a gift that is meant to point us toward what we can change, what we can change in ourselves, and where we can change how we can help our child, um, you know, face his frustrations, help him learn how to put um, a, a puzzle together, learn how to manage, um, uh, like when, when he runs up against a frustration that he can't handle, how to take a break. So we, the guilt's meant to help us um, recognize what we can change, but also to mourn the things that we can't change so there will be some frustrations some wounds and um, you know both within ourselves and for our, our children that are just too big for us and we just have to grieve and let go um, of that hope that we can manage all of that it's just too big for us we have to admit what is our job and what is not our job we can lead our children to faith we can lead our children to school we can lead our children right but we can't force them to learn mm -hmm. We can't force them to believe. We can't force them to behave. We can guide them. But at some point, something's not our job anymore, and it's up to God, right? Mm -hmm. So we can teach our children how to be decent human beings, but ultimately how they live their lives is not under our control. So we have to know what's our job and what isn't. And the, the, the thing that I try to remind myself of when I'm feeling kind of down in the dumps or if I'm taking my children's emotions personally is that um, – God didn't make a mistake. He gave our children to us for a reason. God chose us as the mother of this particular child for a reason. Even with our imperfections and our weaknesses, for some reason, God thought, oh, she's the one for this child. And we have gifts that our child needs. So it's easy to focus on where we get things wrong. But remember that you have particular gifts that your child needs. And what are those? And thank God for that match. Thank God for that match that you have what your child needs. Our children um, even grow because of our failures. Just think about how... Um, our failures help our children build resilience, and um, and then when we admit our missteps and we make amends and all that, it's teaching our children to be um, humble and how to seek forgiveness and to offer forgiveness. So I try to remind myself of that, that I'm the right mom for my kids despite my own failures. You're speaking into how humility is a necessity in this path, too. I, it just speaks into both sides of humility, this realizing I I cannot be a perfect parent. I, in some ways, am mourning the loss of maybe this expectation that I had to be perfect, and I'm realizing that I can't. But also realizing that right. God made this, like, there's a plan here. There's a reason this baby is my child. And so it's this both and. Motherhood also has this this divine potential. I I love this phrase that um someone once shared with me is this, there's the other side of humility is realizing that you have divine potential, that God has a plan. And I love how the way you talk about guilt mm. and, and perfection and parenting really couples well with this, this understanding of humility. Definitely. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the show, that sometimes we have these big plans. We're so intense. Like we have the, these dreams for our kids, but God's plan is always, always, always better. And we will be happier. Our child will be happier. We will thrive in our mother and our child will thrive as a child better when we just let God do his work. 
Exactly. Yes. Yes. Okay. You, you talked a little bit about this in our conversation, but I want to touch on this one specific um, instance of, of parenting that I haven't experienced yet, but I have dear friends who've experienced it. And I know this is a wound that a lot of mothers have, but it's, it's the wound of, of having children who leave the faith, who you lead to the bridge of discipleship and they don't oh walk across gosh. the bridge, which is so it's heart wrenching, especially because we love so intensely as mothers, like we pour our hearts and uh-huh. souls into these children and then for them to choose to not walk across that bridge. Yes. Do you have any advice for someone who's in that situation? Maybe they're listening and it's their child who's left the faith. Maybe their grandchild who's left the faith. In, in some ways too, even for those who aren't physical mothers, maybe they're spiritual mothers to someone who has, has decided to walk away. How, how do, can you speak into that situation? Yeah, so this is, um, this is uh, deep on my heart because this is one of the things that um, so far my children have remained in the faith. I only have one adult son, and he is actually a seminarian. So people will think, oh, she must have the magic formula. No, I do not have the magic formula. <laughs> there is just something mysterious about how God works in our children's lives. Like about when my children get to about the teenage years, I know that um, other adults have to play an important role in them continuing toward that bridge. And part of the mistake some parents make is they think they're not important anymore. Mm. And they'll get the natural pushback from their teenagers because teenagers, you know, they they can be kind of grumpy sometimes. That's and true. they think, oh, that means that what I'm doing is not um, important anymore. And they let their child come more and more identified with their peers. And that's what happened to me. I became so identified with what my peers thought was right, what my peers thought was good, what my peers thought was beautiful, that it led me away from the faith. And my um, encouragement would be just stay, stay walking alongside your child. Um, Even when they get to be an adult, continue walking alongside them even though you can't force them you can accompany them on their journey and it's true it can be so disheartening when a child um you know walks away from the faith but for some reason some kids come back and why is that because there was something beautiful that they're missing so continued to point their hearts toward the beauty of the faith point their hearts to the gorgeous um, traditions we have and, you know, and just be, I don't, depends on the age of the child when all this is happening. If they're a teenager, there's more that we can do. Just don't lose heart and don't internalize that as a failure. It, that's, it's not your job. You can't drag your child across the bridge of the site <laughs> and, and handcuff them to the, to the post. You know, it's like for some reason, the journey, of it is very messy and it's painful and, it, and it's very um, heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. But my words of encouragement was to pray. Pray for your child. Say rosaries for them. Ask the, the Blessed Mother to wrap her cloak around them. I know prayer works. I know prayer works. I mean, even with my own son, who is now a seminarian, he tells me now that when he was in early high school, he stopped believing in God. So I did not know that. And who knows if he could have made a choice to go in some, if there had been a wrong influence or whatever, he might've gone in a different direction. And that doesn't mean that I, it wouldn't have meant that I failed, but that for some reason, that was his journey that he needed to take. Mm, And, um, you know, so just keep praying, believe that God is strong enough 
and keep loving, love them to the faith and point them to the beauty of the faith. That's so good. Kim, I know we're just, we're just scratching the surface of the work that you've poured into discipleship parenting, your new book with our Sunday visitor. Um, can you tell listeners where they can pre-order the book when it's coming out? And then I know you have some really fun incentives for those who pre-order the book too. It's called Discipleship Parenting, and you can find out about it. Go to my website, kimcameronsmith.com. You will find links to the book. It comes out on January 2nd. And on that book page, there's information about how to get the pre-order incentive. So I have a little... Um, a little uh, like a uh, reading companion that if you pre-order, I will give that to you for free. I will accompany you with each chapter. There are little meditations and prayers. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a printable um, drawn from my, my discipline chapter. So just head over to kimcameronsmith.com. The book comes out on January 2nd. I'm very excited and I'm very grateful uh, to our Sunday visitor for giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts on parenting. I am excited to see it come out in January to be able to have it as a resource for as I I'm just starting this parenting journey. So thanks so much for all of the, I know, I know how hard it is to to write a book and the work it takes to go into that project. So thank you for your providing that as a resource. Oh, thank you. Yes. I'm excited too. So Kim, the one question I ask all my guests to come on the show to wrap up our conversation as a podcast that explores what it means to live out the feminine genius, can you speak into how you embrace the feminine genius in your daily life, especially as a woman who's who's so passionate about raising children to love and to know Christ and then to share that love with others as well? I think I just love the topic of your show because of this. It's underexplored what the genius is. So it's, it's, I love this and I love it that you ask every guest to comment on this. I think for me, I see myself as a spiritual mother to um, not only I'm, I'm, I'm clearly a biological mother, but I'm a spiritual mother to many children. I think all women, whether or not they are biological mothers, possessed the gift of nurturance. We have a unique capacity to nourish the um, emotional, the physical, the spiritual, the intellectual lives of others, children and adults. So in my life, I tutor many children in writing and literature. So I have all of these wonderful children around me, and I hear, um, you know, in the context of that tutoring, I hear about their struggles, about their self-doubt, their self-perceptions, and their beautiful drive to discover what they're all about and who they are. And it is a privilege to walk alongside of them. And I feel this is part of the way I live out the feminine genius. And the other thing about me is I love cooking. (laughs) So I love feeding people. It's part of the way I feel I nurture people. So I like to cook for people and I like to put feasts together for them and feed them. And I think, I mean, of course, men love cooking as well, but that's part of me as a woman. I try to my gifts as a woman to the details of how I feed, a way for me to um, nurture and to draw community together and to create community. We are just being able to wrap up this conversation talking about the universality of maternal, that maternal desire as women. So we've, we've discipleship, we focused more on the parenting side of it in this conversation, but I think you spoke into this so beautifully is the discipleship and and mothering is something that all women are called to. So Kim, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. This has been such a fun conversation. It has been so much fun, Chloe. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate um, chatting with you and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. 
Hey, thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can find the show notes for today's episode over at oldfashionedgirlblog.com. I cannot wait to share the next episode of Letters to Women with you. It's a conversation with Bridget Busacker about discerning between different methods of natural family planning and the beauty of community, both in her story and in the community of those who practice an FP. But ironically, speaking of perfectionism today, it's a conversation that Bridget and I had to record twice because our audio didn't save the first time. And I I knew I had been uh, praying the litany of humility too much these days, but it's coming soon. So watch your podcast feeds. Always feel free to reach out with comments, ideas of episodes, guests that you would love to see on the show. You can always send me an email at chloe.langer at gmail.com. And that's all I have for today's show. So until next time, be not afraid.